With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SupChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. And I'm Shannon Van Sant, business editor of SupChina. It has been a good week for China's street vendors, as the premier promises to support the country's street economy. It's been a bad week for the chairman of scandal-ridden Luckin Coffee, who is reportedly facing criminal charges, and China's millions of basketball fans have something to cheer this week, as the China Basketball Association has announced they will restart games following the COVID-19 pandemic. With all of China's slam-dunk business stories and more, here's your news. The Trump administration is calling for recommendations on how to better protect American investors from U.S.-listed Chinese companies that engage in fraud, adding its voice to a growing chorus seeking tougher oversight and stricter controls of Chinese firms. A presidential memo posted on Thursday, June 4th on the White House's website asked the president's working group on financial markets to come up with specific recommendations on the issue within 60 days. The matter follows the financial scandal of false income reporting by Chinese company Luck and & Coffee and centers on the U.S. securities regulators' ability, or some would argue inability, to access third-party audits that must be performed on all U.S.-listed companies. Speaking of Luck & Coffee, a Caixin exclusive has revealed that Lu Zongyao, chairman of the scandal-ridden coffee delivery business, is likely to face criminal charges in China after authorities discovered emails in which he instructed colleagues allegedly to commit fraud, a source close to domestic regulators told Caixin journalists. China's top market watchdog and the Ministry of Finance have reportedly found evidence that Luckin, which is listed on the Nasdaq, paid taxes on bogus transactions multiple people close to the company's internal investigation team told Caixin. Luckin, which in April admitted to fabricating over $310 million in sales, had initially blamed Chief Operating Officer Liu Jian and several of his subordinates for the fraud. Last month, the coffee maker fired Liu and CEO Qian Zhiya. Liu, however, has so far retained his role as chairman. Debate has raged online after Premier Li Keqiang made a statement that 600 million Chinese earn only 1,000 yuan, approximately $141 a month, with many people skeptical of the claim. 
Taishin looked into the issue and has calculated that indeed 599 million Chinese earn 1,090 or less. Taishin's calculations estimate that 75.6% of them live in rural areas, 36.2% live in less developed central China, and 34.8% live in the country's west. China also had an annual disposable income per capita of 30,733 yuan last year. Americans, meanwhile, earned more than 10 times that figure. That gap between the two countries is being taken as evidence by many as to why China should still be viewed as a developing country dominated by a low-income population. COVID-19 continues to throw spanners into the works of international events. The European Union and China have agreed to postpone their annual summit because of the pandemic. The summit had been scheduled to take place on September 14th at Leipzig, Germany, after Berlin takes over the EU's rotating presidency next month. A spokesman for Germany's Chancellor Angela Merkel said in a statement Wednesday that Merkel held separate phone calls with Chinese President Xi Jinping and EU Council President Charles Michel. Quoting the spokesperson, They agreed that due to the overall pandemic situation, the meeting cannot take place at the planned time and will be postponed. End quote. The spokesman added that there had been no updated schedule for the summit. On May 24th, Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi said that China and the EU were specifically looking to expand mutually beneficial cooperation in new areas such as connectivity, the environment, the digital economy, and artificial intelligence. Beijing city authorities have published draft regulations that would criminalize the, quote, slander of traditional Chinese medicine, also known as TCM. The new rules, which are currently up for public consultation, have drawn sharp criticism from legal experts who say they are too open-ended and may exceed the city's legal authority. The document, which was submitted on Friday, June 5th by the Beijing Municipal Health Commission, states that, quote, no organization or individual may engage in fraudulent or exaggerated publicity about TCM, use TCM's name to gain illegitimate advantages or harm the public interest, or defame or slander TCM via any means or behavior, end quote. The Chinese government actively promotes TCM, and last year was seen to score a major victory when the World Health Organization announced it would include some of the practices in its International Statistical Classification of Diseases and Related Health Problems. After years of Chinese cities cracking down on street vendors in an effort to, quote, beautify the urban environment and improve food safety of food vendors, Chinese Premier Li Keqiang has vowed government support for street vendors as part of efforts to ease unemployment and revitalize small business following the country's coronavirus epidemic. At a press conference, Li praised the southwestern city of Chengdu for reportedly creating 100,000 jobs overnight by setting up some 36,000 vending booths, according to the local Sichuan Daily newspaper. Following the announcement, shares in Hong Kong-listed SAIC GM Wuling Automobile were up as much as 120% during the next day in trading sessions as Wuling Microvans became the new coveted asset for would-be street vendors. Share prices of other companies seemed to benefit from a rise in street hawking. Zhejiang China Commodities City Group Company Limited, which operates the world's largest small commodities wholesale market, 
and Indu Kitchen Equipment Company Limited, a maker of commercial kitchen and dining equipment, both rose by the 10% daily limit. Good news for China's basketball fans. The Chinese Basketball Association will resume games on June 20th, although the games will be played without any spectators. The CBA will be China's first large-scale sports league to restart, now that the country's coronavirus outbreak is more or less under control. But it's unclear exactly how the league will adjust its complex handicap system that benefits teams without foreign imports, given that most foreign players are believed to have returned to their home countries when the league was shuttered in January and currently can't get back into China. According to ESPN, around 40 Americans, including former NBA stars Jeremy Lin and Lance Stevenson, are contracted by the CBA's 20 teams. And finally... Taiwan pop sensation Jay Cho or Jay Joe launched his first official account on a Chinese mainland social media app, choosing video sharing app Kuaishou and using the ID Jay Cho's J A Y C H O U. Within just 48 hours, the account had attracted almost 9 million followers. The size and speed of his followers on the Chinese app illustrates the power of Chinese social media. Cho was primarily active on Instagram before, which is blocked on the mainland and had a mere 5.9 million followers. So far, Joe has posted just three videos to his Show account and announced that he will be live streaming magic tricks once the number of followers reaches 10 million. So podcast listeners, you know what to do. Speaking of stellar pop sensations with lots of magic tricks up their sleeve, let's turn now to Doug Young, managing editor of Tyson Global, for for a zoom in on the week's news. Doug, uh, there's big news on India, I understand. What is happening on the other side of the Himalayas, and how does this concern China? Hey, Ray Kaiser. Um, yeah, today I wanted to start out talking about India, and you know, our readers or our listeners, I should say, are going to think uh, maybe this is a little strange because China podcast, but uh, let's start, and I think people will see later on uh, what what this has to do with China. But let's, let's begin with uh, what's happened in India, which is basically the uh, Indian government has announced a, a quite a large plan. It's worth 500 billion rupees, which is about 6.6 .6 billion U.S. dollars that they're going to try and spend over the next five years to get companies Specifically, I think this is uh, targeted at the smartphone sector. Uh, but so to get companies to set up sort of co uh, various uh, factories in the supply chain for smartphones in India. Uh, and just to give listeners a, a quick idea, the, they're going to give basically the equivalent of 4 to 6 percent of sales. And also they're going to provide subsidies on companies' capital spending. Uh, so if I'm a smartphone maker and I you know, have to spend a million dollars to buy widgets for my smartphones or screens for my smartphones, they would have typically give me you know, a refund on maybe 2% of my spending on those things. So you know, it's, it's not a small sum of money. And uh, apparently analysts that we talked to were saying – this is uh, pretty unprecedented for India to spend out such a big amount of money because in the past, they've really targeted companies that are trying to sell to India. That's, that's the big attraction for setting up in India, setting up your shop in India if you want to sell smartphones. But in this case, they really seem to be going after companies 
that aren't just selling to India, but maybe are going to make their smartphones in India and ship them to other parts of the world. So uh, the, the the companies that this seems to be targeted at, and this is where we'll we'll see the China angle coming up soon, um, are companies like Foxconn, which is a big uh, smartphone assembler. They actually make iPhones for Apple. Um, and then, you know, all these Chinese companies as well, uh, Oppo, Vivo, Xiaomi, they already have uh, big operations in India already because it's, you know, it's a big smartphone market in and of itself. Um, so that's that's the idea. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's pretty big news. It's, it's a pretty aggressive action on India's part. Has Beijing responded to this announcement yet? I mean, I can't imagine Beijing is particularly thrilled about this. Well, exactly. This is uh, this is the second part, which is you know this really does seem to be aimed at at China squarely. Um, you know, it's aggressive on the business front. It's not not aggressive in other ways, but uh, I'm sure China will not be too happy about it. But as we all know, China has basically been exposed as creating too much reliance on it on itself uh, for specifically smartphones, but other supply chains as well. And during the whole COVID-19 thing, there was just all kinds of disruption because people couldn't get to work in China, factories stopped producing in China. You know, it all, people just realized how reliant they are on China for, you know, producing their, everything from their smartphone screens to their smartphone chips, uh, you know, to their smartphone memory, to their smartphone casings, whatever, is all coming from China. So uh, there's been a big, you know, a lot of soul searching among a lot of businesses. And, and they're saying, gee, we need to diversify our, our supply chains a little bit. And, and that's exactly what India is coming in here and, and trying to do. And in a lot of ways, India is really basically following, let's say, like maybe seven, eight years behind China. Uh, it's it's interesting. You see some stats that uh, point out that India, as uh, recently as 2014, was actually importing 70% of its smartphones that were sold locally. Or I shouldn't say smartphones. I should say all cell phones because maybe not all of them are smartphones. Uh, but then if you fast forward to the present, Almost all smartphones sold in India are assembled in India. Now, this is uh, probably key to point out because a lot of their components are probably still made in China and other places. Um, so, you know, India wants to be the place where people are not only assembling phones, but they're also creating the parts that get assembled into phones. And, you know, this is, I think, a, a broader trend. Very interesting. And and do we know of other countries with similar ambitions to grab a piece of the supply chain as China gets pricier and loses some of its supply chain business? Yeah. Yeah. No, we do know a lot. I think uh, just about everybody out there is probably uh, salivating at this opportunity. Uh, one example that was just in the news today, actually, this week, uh, was Vietnam, which uh, is is always looked upon as a sort of another up-and-coming challenger to China, and they apparently have just signed a free trade agreement with the European Union. So that's a, that's a, a pretty big deal, and you know, this will make it more attractive for component makers uh, and, and you know, smartphone makers and, and other companies to, 
set up shop in Vietnam because they know they can ship to the European Union for a lot of products without any tariffs under this free trade agreement. So China, to my knowledge, doesn't have that kind of an agreement yet with the EU. So, you know, it's, it's yet another thing that will make companies say, hmm, maybe I should uh, think about diversifying my supply chains a little bit. And Vietnam and India both look like good places. Well, thanks, Doug. And I look forward to chatting next week. Okay. Thanks, Kaiser. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is produced by Kaiser Guo and Nandini Venkata with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Special thanks to Li Xin and Marcus Ryder of Caixin Global. Thanks to Ufei and Spring and Autumn for the music. Be sure to check out the other shows in the Seneca Network on SubChina. And for daily news and views, make sure to subscribe to SubChina Access for their daily newsletter. Find us at subchina.com. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Take care.